please stand for the reading of God's word. The passage this morning is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Well, good morning and welcome again and Happy New Year if I haven't said so to you for the first time in 2024, which feels strange to say still probably for you as well. Um, And things are dropping already. It's a great start to the new year. Uh, Would love, as uh, Rebecca just announced, to see you all at the getaway if you are considering it. If you are on the fence, let me add a pastoral nudge for you to come along and join us. We were trying to do things this year to make it uh, more accessible, more enjoyable. There's more private housing available to you. There are going to be more games and activities available. Uh, would love to see you there. It's a great time of togetherness in the new year. So please consider that uh, if you haven't. Uh, as you just heard this morning, our passage is from the book of Ephesians. This may be the shortest passage that I ever preach on for you all. So starting the new year off in a gentle pacing ourselves kind of way. But we're going to be starting a series in the first half of the book of Ephesians, running up to chapter, uh, the end of chapter 3. I'm going to be calling Grace and Peace. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, which is in modern-day western Turkey. He wrote it uh, about seven years after he had been there helping plant the church that he was writing back to. And since he had been there, some stresses had come on the church in the time that he had been absent. Uh, Jewish and Gentile Christians really had not come together in the city despite both being there and both believing in the same Savior. There wasn't really much unity a much common purpose between the one church. There were also people that were tempted in many ways by being a cultural minority that many people, as maybe you can identify with today if you're a Christian, thought were crazy, thought that what they believed was weird at best and probably just nuts. And so they were tempted to shave off the rough, uncomfortable edges, practices, beliefs of Christianity to make life with their neighbors more comfortable, just more feasible, period. They weren't a church that was in danger of abandoning the faith. There are other churches like that that receive letters in the New Testament. This isn't one of them. But as one uh, commentator, Frank Thielman, says, that Paul wrote to them in order to address those uh, those stresses, uh, writing that they uh, needed a reminder of what they had committed themselves to at their conversion. He's reminding them, in other words, about the heart of the faith. They're not abandoning the faith. They need to be reminded of what's energizing their faith. What's at the core of that? What makes it alive? What makes it worthwhile? What makes it putting your time and your energy into it? What makes it worth being a weird person in your community? What makes it worth coming together alongside people that you don't normally get along with because you share this commonality in the faith? What is the heartbeat of your faith? That's what Paul's writing to remind them of so that they could press on in that. 
so that they could have more of it, so that they could be caught up in it and carried along by it and not just feel like it's a burden to them. And what does Paul say in his reminder about the heart of the faith? What does he say that the heartbeat of it is? Well, Paul tends to sum up what he's going to talk about in all of his letters in these first little intros that he gives. He does this in most of his letters. The intro greeting not only gives greetings, but summarizes what he's going to talk about, the themes. And what are the two themes that really come out in these short few verses? Grace and peace. Those are the primary things Paul's talking about in this book as the heartbeat of Christianity. Grace and peace. They're themes that come up over and over in this book. And they're they're used so much in this little book that for its size, these these words show up more in this book than in any other book of Scripture as a ratio. So you can say that that by sort of a saturation point, grace and peace show up in this book more than in any other book of Scripture. Paul is wanting us to see the centrality, the importance of grace and peace to the Christian life. We're going to explore more of what those two words mean, what they mean for our lives in the weeks to come. But my, my main hope through this series is that we would have more of both grace and peace in our lives. Not just an understanding, but an appropriation, a lived reality of grace and peace that's true in our hearts and that's also true through our hearts to those around us. I don't want it to be just that that I feel more gracious and peaceful toward myself and no one else experiences that from me, but that those around us, that those around our church would experience us as individuals and as a church, as a people of grace and a people of peace, as a people possessed by those things and who share those things so that we as people who are a cultural minority in our time and place by our belief as we who are amongst divisions in our time and place might press on in the faith in this new year. And this week I want to look at Paul's opening lines about grace and peace and how they're so important for framing up a whole understanding of what Paul's going to talk about in this first half of the book. I want to focus just on these few verses, and I want to use this, this framing that Paul gives us to help us see some of the deep truths that come out of it for our lives through looking at just two things. First, the personal side of grace and peace, and then why that personal side is both difficult and awesome for us. So, the personal side of grace and peace, and why that's both difficult and awesome at the same time. Before we get into those things, though, would you bow your heads and pray with me to ask God to be present in our time. God, we thank you for this new year, for this new opportunity to be together, to hear about grace and peace, to hear about the heartbeat of Christianity, your heart for us, our heart for the world that you would give us. God, would you make that come alive in us as in the very first heartbeat of a child, as in the first heartbeat of a relationship and a connection and a new time, would you be that enlivening in us now that we might come to life in you and your grace and peace, that these things would be a power in us and through us that we might not understand, but that we would so deeply experience that we can't help but affirm that it is there, that it is true, that it is real, that it has power for us and for the world. So I pray that you would be that grace and peace, that power in our hearts now. Would you come and join us in this time? In your name we pray, amen. 
We'll begin by talking about the personal side of grace and peace, and we'll get pretty quickly to what I mean by that. But as I started looking at this passage over and over leading up to starting this series, I kept getting drawn to one small connection in the text. The text says, if you have your Bibles, there should be one in front of you if you don't have one, but it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It seems Paul keeps connecting things to Jesus. Paul is Jesus's Apostle. Apostle means a sent one, a messenger, one authoritatively charged to give the words of the person who sent them. Paul is his messenger, bringing his message. Jesus' apostle, Paul, writes to Jesus' people, those who are the faithful in Christ in Ephesus. It's for them from him. And the grace and peace, verse 2, the summary of the message that Paul has been charged to carry out for them, that his apostle delivers to them, the summary of that is from Christ. It all seems like it's connected to, hemmed in by, flowing out from Christ. It gives the sense that, that he's the source of what's going on here. And I want to look a little bit more about how we see these things bound up in these particular aspects here. Because Christ really seems to be the outflow or everything flows out from him here. Whether, whether you're the apostle or the people or the message, in this verse, you're there because you belong to him. You're there in connection with him. He is why the people are there reading this letter. They could be somewhere else doing something else, but they're not. They're here. It doesn't say to all the citizens in Ephesus and the surrounding regions. It just says to the church in Ephesus. And these letters were certainly meant to be read more widely, but he's writing to those that he has called out, to those that he has made his own. He's changed their life. He's drawn them into community. They're reading this because of him. He is why Paul is writing this letter. Paul, if you go to the book of Acts, certainly would have been doing other things. His life definitely would have gone other directions, but he's writing this letter to this church, not attacking this church because Christ has done something in his life. And Jesus, along with the Father, is where the message and the reality of grace and peace come from. The text says, we'll get more into this in the few weeks to come, but the Ephesians receive these things from him, not from somewhere else, not from reading some mystical thing for not some particular practice, but from, directly from God, from Jesus. He is the source. They come from him and not from somewhere else. It's all here because of Jesus. Everything is happening, flowing from Jesus. It's tied up with the one person. Grace and peace here feels personal, connected to the person of Jesus. And this means that, that grace and peace, Paul's message for the Ephesians, is about a person. The Christian life, Paul is wanting us to see at the very outset, the heartbeat of the Christian life is about a person. Paul's saying that the whole point 
of the Christian life. And this is so often overlooked by me and all of us who believe that the whole point of the Christian life is a person, is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The point of the Christian life is to be his, to know him, to be with him, to hear from him and be shaped by him to be called into the life that he would call you into, to have that and experience that with him. It's not about just committing to and following a few theological ideas, to practicing some rules, to being in these programs, to serving in a certain kind of way, to talking a certain kind of way, knowing how to use certain words, showing up at a certain way, at a certain time, having a certain background. It's not about those things. It's about a person. All those things flow out from knowing a person, but at its core, it is about a person. All those other things are too small for Christianity to be about them. They flatten Jesus down and they make a three-dimensional person into a cardboard cutout, like you see at the movies. When you go to see an advertisement, there's someone there in an awesome pose for the next Avengers or Snowvengers movie, whatever it may be. It's a two-dimensional flat version of what that person is. When we boil the Christian faith down into the things we do, what it looks like from the outside, it makes it too small and two-dimensional. Paul is telling us right out of the gate, the heartbeat of the Christian life is not two-dimensional. It is not flat like that. The core of the faith is about knowing a living, breathing person, Jesus Christ, God the Son made flesh. It's about him in three dimensions in his fullness. That is the heartbeat of Christianity. Do you know Christianity like that? Or is it in some way still two-dimensional to you? Is it still flat, cardboard cutout that doesn't feel like it has substance in it? Or maybe it used to feel like it was three-dimensional and now it feels two-dimensional. Grace and peace boils down to this one question. Do you know him? Do you know a three-dimensional Jesus as the core and the heartbeat of the faith? If it's not about the person of Jesus, Paul is saying, it is not grace and peace. You can't be about grace and peace and not be anchored in knowing Jesus and having connection to him and in wanting to know what he thinks about this. And wanting to know how he might be present in this. And and looking for him to be present in this. If it's not about him, it is not grace and peace. It's not the Christian faith. That's what Paul wants us to see in these early verses. That grace and peace, the Christian life is personal. It is about a person. It is not about a mystical connection It is about a knowable person. If your faith is not dead center on him, it is off target. It is going to be two-dimensional. It is going to be hollow. It's going to be flat. It's not the full faith. If you're not a Christian, are you rejecting a Christianity that's not really the real thing? That's not the full Jesus. That's just a cardboard cutout. It's easy to reject the two-dimensional cardboard cutout. Are you just rejecting an idea, a practice, a way of life, a program, even a church that you don't like? 
That's not the full faith. As a Christian, are you getting lost in the weeds? That you don't like this particular program that we have at CTK. You don't like something we do on Sundays here. You don't like what Jesus tells you about what to do with this part of your life, with your body, with your money, with your time. Are you boiling the faith down to something small when he is much bigger than that? What's the heartbeat of your faith? Is Jesus in it? Because grace and peace is personal. It's about Jesus. We are lost if it's not about him. We will be lost in the new year, even as Christians, if your faith is not about him, about knowing him, about being in relationship with him. And that's not to make it some sort of measure of how much do I know Jesus and how much of an ecstatic experience and relationship do I have with him. That's, that's not it. That's, again, making it about a smaller thing. But do I know him? Do I know him? And that, that personal nature of grace and peace is both, to get into our second point here, awesome and difficult for us. It's awesome that it is personal, first of all, because then all of this, having grace and peace, all the things that come with the Christian life, living out the gospel is ultimately about being with someone. It's about having a friend, about having a friend in God, about knowing him, having company and companionship. Not being isolated and alone. This is not a philosophy you are meant to practice privately by yourself. This is about something that you are meant to be drawn into that is outside you. That is a relationship that has a life of its own. That can work on you in a way that you can't work on yourself. It's about being able to have someone that you can call on. In the same way that you would pick up your phone and call a friend. Call a family member, someone that you know who cares about you, someone that you can rely on and go to them. That's what the personal side of Christianity is about, that you have someone that you can call on, who will pick up the phone, so to speak, who wants to talk to you. Christianity explodes when it becomes about a personal connection to the God of the universe who wants to have a personal connection with you. When Jesus is a personal savior, when it's someone you know, not just ideas, not just arguing about theological points, not just arguing about can I do this or can I do that, but when you know him, it explodes when Jesus comes into your life, when you know him. And that can sound hokey and strange from the outside, but it is true experientially that when you know someone, it's very different. Someone can change your life. I'm sure I could ask each of you and you'd raise a hand about someone who came into your life and changed your life. That maybe you're here in the greater Cambridge area because someone changed your life. That you've moved from a different place, that you've done something different, that you're doing the work you do, you're with the people that you're with because someone changed your life. That is how it works in the human experience. We end up where we are because someone changes your life. Christianity says it is no different with God, that God changes your life. That's the awesome side of Christianity being personal because then it's not just a test that you either have to pass or you're, you're just out on your own. You failed. You have to try again until you can pass it. 
It's not attaining a certain level of special knowledge that when you're older, you'll get it. When you're a little wiser, when you're smarter like me, then you'll get it. It's not just a series of rules. And unless you're following all of them, I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be a tough year for you. It's not an unknowable, unpredictable, mystical force that you can't really tell. Will it accept me or will it not? I'm not sure. When it's personal, it's not any of those things. It's not our effort. It's not a project. It's not a job. It's just being with someone. That's what all these things are pointing you to in Scripture. How do I be with you? That's what the very first instructions in Scripture about the Garden in Eden were about. How can you be with me? What is it like to know me? What does it look like to be in relationship with me? It's about being with someone. And that is just the best possible news because then hope and life and salvation is personal. It's not just a concept. It's alive. It can talk to you. It can come it can, it can come and help you. We, we dream or we, we have nightmares about AI right now, machines coming alive to help us or to kill us, right? Hopefully to help us. Uh, but have you ever imagined grace and peace coming alive to help you? Have you imagined hope coming alive? Have you imagined love coming alive? Because that's what Jesus Christ is. All those things in the flesh coming alive to help you, to pursue you. Someone who comes to go beyond what you can do, to go where you can't go. And that's what Jesus does. That's what he does at his birth, is to come alive to be those things. That's what he does in the cross and the resurrection. He, he comes alive to go where we can't go and to do what we can't do. He dies to sin in our place, something that we could not handle. As someone who has no sin, something that we couldn't do. To be a substitute for us in all the ways that we needed brokenness taken out of us. And he rises from the grave for all the ways that we so desperately need life but don't have it in us. He does it in himself. He comes down to do it in person. This is the heartbeat of Christianity, that God would come down to save you, not with an idea, not with a, a mental snap of his fingers, but to do it in person, to be your hope alive, to be your salvation in the flesh. He comes down to do it in person. If you have Christ, you have someone who brings grace and peace to you. You have someone who is alive chasing you down, running after you, picking you up, the same way that a friend or a parent or someone you care about would do for you. It's not something that you have to do on your own. And that is the best news. But it's also very difficult news for us. It's tough. That Christianity isn't just about programs or ideas or practices or services or giving a certain amount. Because those things don't go farther than we want them to go. 
We maintain a level of control and power over when we show up, how we participate, the things that we do in our private lives. If we don't want to participate in something that God calls us to, that's, that's a program, that's a way of life, we don't. If we don't want to follow a particular command or call that God gives us, if we don't want to sit under the accountability of a community, we just pull away. You opt out when you want to opt out. And you opt in when you want to opt in, when it's programs, when it's services, when it's practices. But if Christianity, if grace and peace is not just practices and ideas and programs, if it is a person, it is not so easy to opt in or opt out. Because then it's alive. It has a will of its own. It has power and control of its own. You don't control it. You don't opt in or opt out when you want to. It can pursue you. It can interrupt you. It can argue back with you. It can correct you and say, actually, no, that's not right. It can knock on your door when you'd prefer to not face it and when you'd rather just hide. It's challenging because if grace and peace is a person and not just an idea, then it is not under your control. It's not a system that you can carve up and participate in however you like. And we, as Americans, do not like that. We like under my control, in my time, when I say, when I want, how I want, in the color that I like. We don't like being able to not stop and start when we feel uncomfortable. But that's what Christianity will call you to. It will call you to come face to face with something that's outside your control, with something that's bigger than you, with something that will challenge you, with something that will also encourage and comfort and lift you up because it's about a person who has his own power and his own plans that you don't have authority over. And so the great question of a, of a person-centric Christianity, of a Christianity with a person at the heartbeat of it is, will you take or leave this person? In the same way that you hear that at a wedding that you might attend, do you take this man, do you take this woman to be your husband, to be your wife? It's about taking a person to know and be in relationship with them. It's not a set of ideas. It's not a set of practices. It's not a program. It's a person. It's someone that you don't control who has their own power. And that is very challenging. It requires you to be vulnerable, to take a risk, to step in, to give someone else a window to speak into your life, to acknowledge that you don't have all the power and to open yourself up. That's the challenge of it that it is, in fact, beyond you. If you are looking for something that's not beyond you, something that's just a little bit of, of self-help and self-improvement, then Christianity is not it. It will ask for much more than you are willing to give. But if you are tired of that, if you are tired of getting through the end of the next self-help book and still feeling like yourself just digging away at an empty trench, then maybe it's time for something new. 
Maybe it's time for something that is personal, something that is alive, something that is outside of you. Christianity is personal. It's about the person of Jesus. It's both awesome and difficult because since it's about Jesus, it both does more than we can do for ourselves and it also asks more than we might like to give. It, better said, he steps in. You will come face to face with God and Christianity. The take it or leave it question is, do you want him? If everything else goes away, that's what the book of Job is about. If everything else goes away, do you want him? Grace and peace is in him. It flows from him. It's his to bring to you. Do you want him? This is grace and peace in Jesus Christ. It's more than you can ask. It's more than you might want to volunteer. But as we will come to see in the coming weeks, the risk of knowing him is so deeply worth the reward. I can say that in my life. I'm sure I could ask so many people in here that could say that of their own lives. It's worth the reward of the risk that you take. So I want to encourage us as we start to mull over this new series of grace and peace to keep it personal as our, as our practical takeaway. I'm going to invite you to do just one thing to make it personal, to make your Christian life about the person of Jesus Christ, to keep it centered on him for the first time or again, make it about the person, Jesus. Make your faith personal. Where are you keeping Jesus at a distance? By having Christianity be about ideas that you do or don't agree with or values that you do or don't share. Again, those are easy things when they're two-dimensional and just say, nope, don't like that, don't take that, don't agree with that. Even I, I understand some of these things are deeply felt things that mean a lot to us. That's not to dismiss those at all. But it is to say, are we keeping the greater question of the, of the one who might come in and say, maybe there's something that you are missing. Maybe there is something that you don't see and I want to talk to you about that. Are you keeping him at a distance by keeping it about things that you feel more comfortable arguing about? Where might things change if you met him? If you ran into him on the street, on the tee, at work? That's what happened to Paul. It's what happens to everyone who knows him. Eventually you meet him. And it doesn't matter how long you've been running or how good your arguments and your skills are. Paul had a lot of both. When you meet him, something changes. Make it personal. Where you have made it personal, where are you afraid that you're not doing enough to hold on, to get it right? You're not doing enough to serve right now, that you don't have enough of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You're not gifted enough. You're not as advanced as you should be in the faith by this point in time. You're not mature enough. What does a personal Savior with his own power to save you have to say to those fears? Where do you need to make your fears more personal? To let Jesus be the one who speaks to those. Where can you let that personal Savior be the one who helps you with these things? Where are you struggling with some sin issues right now? Some things that are small or some things that are big, some things that are terrible even. Where do you need to make it personal where you have a friend in Jesus who can come alongside you and say, try it like this. 
Don't do so much of that. Relax a little here, push in a little more there. Where do you need the faith to be not just you on your own trying with some rules, but with Jesus Christ, God eternal with you, living in you by the Holy Spirit? Let it be personal. Make it personal. Call on him. Don't get stuck in the weeds. Let's not get stuck in the weeds that we can so often get stuck in in Christianity where I don't like the way you talked about it like this. I, I don't like their particular definition of that. I don't want to do it this way. We have to do it that way. Are those things about him? Are we losing him in the details? If we are, then it's not about him. Call on him, deal with him, wrestle with him, make faith personal for you this year, deal with him. Go back to the Gospels and see what he's like. If you want to do that more practically this week, if you're looking for somewhere to start in the new where you're, you're not sure what to read, you're not sure what would I do with my spiritual life, go back to the Gospels, read all four of them, get to know him again. There's, another, there's a book you can read called Love Walked Among Us by Paul Miller. He goes through almost every interaction Jesus has with a person to show you what Jesus is like when you're with him face to face. What is he like personally? Get to know him. Find ways to make him personal again because all these things are in him, from him, through him and to him, Paul says in Romans. Let's pray. We'd like to leave a little space at CTK for you to respond in your heart to some of the things we just talked about, maybe thanking God that he would make faith personal, that he would come down to know you, or maybe confessing the ways that, that we don't like that it's personal. He'd rather keep a distance. Maybe asking God to give you more of that personal connection to Jesus in your lived experience. Let's pray. Father, I pray for all my friends here, new and old, that you would be the heartbeat of their faith this year, that you would continue to be if you have been, that you would be again if it feels like it's ebbed away, that you would be the, for the first time if it never has been before, but would you come and be the heartbeat of our lives? Would we know you as the person who has come to save us, as the person in whom we have grace and peace? from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen.